Are we good from up here, Ron? All right. <laughs> good to see you this morning. Thank you. Happy Memorial Day. Celebrate the, those who gave their all. You've heard the saying, all give some, some gave their all. Today we remember those who gave their all for us. So we'll begin today with an introduction and a review. Last week's title, Thank God for Fellow Believers. Have you found that to be true in your life? Can't live without each other. We took our title, then our main point, as a life lesson, again, from the experience of the Apostle Paul. He would not launch his ministry in Rome until he spent three days in fellowship with fellow believers who had come to visit him. Scripture says very clearly that time together strengthened, encouraged, and filled Paul with gratitude as he gathered with fellow believers. Our point to ponder last week, our principle to think about, was this, the importance of fellowship with other believers, the importance of fellowship among the believers. It is essential. Maybe you're finding that out. You know, when you first get saved, you kind of feel like you're now God's gift to the world. You're going to change the world, and God's going to use you, and you're the man, or you're the woman. And you soon find out that's not true, and you're not going to be able to do that. And then God begins to show you you're not a lone ranger, you're not a maverick, you need the body of Christ. It's essential for so many reasons, in so many ways. And we won't rehash all of that. We talked about that last week. But the bottom line is we totally need each other, whether we like that or not. It's the truth. We totally need each other. We need each other, Presley. You need these guys right here, and they need you. Don't take this lightly. Don't take this for granted. It's always been true. It's going to be even more true, even more essential in the days ahead, as Satan unleashes strategies to try and come against the church, to try and come against believers, to try and come against you and me. The strength of a church is in its relationships. One person, Jamal, the, the quiet one in the sanctuary. The strength of a church is in its relationships. Thank you. Therefore, we need to cultivate and guard our relationships. We need to keep our fellowship strong. God is not looking for mavericks. He's not looking for lone rangers. He's looking for a, a unified effort of believers in fellowship with one another. That's the church. That was last week. This is this week now. Acts 28, 23 through 31. Stand with me. Where's my reader? Come on down. Bless 
You love this attention, don't you? <laughs> she loves to read, but she doesn't but like the attention. Okay. You get the privilege of reading the last text in Acts. Then we're done with the book of Acts. So we'll stand and honor God's word, and Kateri will read for us. So a time was set, and on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. Some were persuaded by the things he said, but others did not believe. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles, and they will accept it. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Thank you. Very good. You may be seated. Today's title, Farewell. Final sermon in our series through the book of Acts. We'll begin, as always, with an exegesis of today's passage. Maybe the last time I'll be saying this because the next book is Ephesians, and I'm not sure we'll go through that exegetically. So this is the exegesis of today's passage. Simply means we're going to give the facts of the narrative, what Kateri read. We're going to give commentary on the facts. And then we're going to make application, a final application from the book of Acts. A time was set. And on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. So a time was set. Remember last time we ended with the Jewish religious leaders saying they wanted to come back. They wanted to hear what Paul had to say. Well, this is that time. In today's passage, they've come back. It says a large number. And the thought here is being many more than originally had met with him in that first meeting. And these are, for the most part, by and large, Jewish religious leaders, Jewish civic leaders, mostly Jewish folks that Paul's addressing that have come back to hear what Paul has to say. The second half of verse 23, Acts 28, 23, he explained and he testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning to evening. Well, first thought, law of Moses, books of the prophets. Paul used scripture with this crowd. Are you listening? There's something in here for us. He used scripture with this crowd because scripture is something, being Jewish, 
being Jewish religious leaders, they were very familiar with. Different approach for different folks. Always scripture, of course. Always it is written. Always the truth. Never compromising truth. But Paul often approached Gentile audiences, Gentile unbelievers, differently than he approached Jewish unbelievers. If you remember back in Athens, Greece, Gentiles, unbelievers, he began to approach them through their philosophers and their philosophies, through their idols. He talked about their idols, their many statues, even their statue to the unknown God. And he proceeded to tell, start from there and then tell them about Jesus, the one true God. Different approach for different folks. Are you following? You starting to pick up what this might mean for us? Different approach for different folks. With the Gentile believers, he didn't begin with the law of Moses. He didn't begin with the prophets. That wouldn't have meant anything to the Greeks in Athens. They weren't interested in the Jewish religion. They weren't interested in Jewish religious practices. They didn't want any part of that. It would have been futile for Paul to start to explain to them from the law of Moses and the books of the prophets. He would have lost them had he begun with that. But not this crowd today. That's what they were familiar with, and that's how he could approach them. A thought for us, and you know what it is. In telling other people about Jesus, those who don't know him, Look for common ground. Know your audience. Know what's going to reach them and what probably won't reach them. You wouldn't go out and witness to an unsafe farmer and use the stock market and capital investment and all those types of things. That's not where they think. You would talk about agriculture and planting and livestock and stuff they could relate to. Now, morning to evening, Paul preached all day. And you know that's not unlike Paul. Back in Macedonia, Paul preached so long that a young man fell asleep. He was sitting in the window a couple stories up. He fell asleep, and about midnight he fell out of the upstairs window to his death. Do you remember that story? Eutychus was the guy. Well, of course, they simply went down raised him from the dead. They didn't even call 911. They just went down, breathed new life into him, raised him from the dead, went back upstairs. Paul preached from midnight to morning to dawn. Makes you appreciate your pastor, doesn't it? 40 minutes and out of here, sometimes 50, but usually 30, 40 minutes and we're out of here. Paul tried to persuade them. Paul was always trying to persuade them about Jesus, whoever them is. With all Paul did, with all Paul said, he had one mission, he had one message. Hoping to convince people that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, Jesus Christ is the Savior. Hoping to convince people to turn from their idols, to turn from their false religion, to turn from their wicked ways, 
hoping to convince people to turn to Christ and be saved. One mission, one message, always. Paul had many approaches in his witnessing to Christ, but bottom line, one mission, one message, tell folks who don't know Jesus about him. Then teach them all about him. It's all about telling others about Jesus. If we have not learned anything else through the book of Acts, hopefully we have learned this. It's all about Jesus. For us, it's all about telling others about Jesus. Hold that thought. It will be important in the application. Acts 28, 24. Now, some were persuaded by the things Paul said. Others did not believe. That's pretty straightforward. Some believed. Others did not. Some turned to Christ and received Jesus. Others did not. And Scripture doesn't really give us a sense of what percentage. How many turned? How many didn't? It just said some did. Some didn't. Moves on. Acts 28, 25. After they had argued back and forth, that's the Jews, not Paul and the Jews, the Jews with themselves. After they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet. And Paul is now going to leave them with a final, it is written. He addressed primarily, I'm sure, those who did not receive his message those who did not turn to Christ, unbelievers, those who would not receive Jesus as their Savior. And here was the message from the prophet Isaiah. Go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened. Their ears cannot hear. Their eyes, they have closed their eyes. Their eyes cannot see. Their ears cannot hear. Their hearts cannot understand. They cannot turn to me. That's a scary place to be. They cannot turn to me. Not they would not. They cannot. And I've said to you before, this is very dangerous. You can never get yourself to a place where God's love can't reach you. But you can get yourself to a place where you will not turn to him. Sin will so harden, unbelief will so harden your heart that no matter what God does, you won't turn. Don't toy with sin. Don't play with sin. Through the scripture, through the it is written, Paul lets them know that their unbelief is a stubborn, willful, intentional unbelief. It's a willful refusal to turn to God. It's a willful refusal to allow God to save them. And unfortunately, we wish it wasn't true. A human being can get themselves into that place where they now cannot turn to God. It's not like, oh, I want to, but I can't. It's 
No desire, never ever. You read in the book of Revelation when God finally appears, the sky's rolled up like a scroll, and there's God, and you think people surely will fall before him and bow. What does Scripture say they do? They raise their fists in anger and they curse him. You can get yourself to a place where you can't turn to God. Paul is letting them know, these Jews that he's talking to in 61 AD, he's letting them know that this prophecy was written about them. God knew many of them would have this response. They wouldn't turn. God prophesied that 700 years ago through the prophet Isaiah, maybe 800 years ago. God spoke about them. And they, as with all folks today, throughout history, who reject Christ, will perish if they persist in their willful unbelief. The lake of fire, also known as hell, is their eternal destiny. The eternal destiny of unbelief is the lake of fire. Acts 28, 28. So, after, after hitting them with this hard truth, he says, so I want you to know this salvation from God has now also been offered to the Gentiles. Ah, oh, was that a rub to the Jewish religious leaders? Are you kidding? The Gentiles, those dogs, no way. Our salvation going to the Gentiles? I want you to know this salvation from God has also now been offered to the Gentiles, and they will accept it. Paul informs them that this is a last attempt from him to reach the Jews, and it is. Paul's ministry approach, based on Scripture, based on the words of Jesus himself, the gospel is to be presented first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. As in all other places he had been, he went to the Jews first, and once they rejected the message, he will now focus on the Gentiles, and many of them will turn to Christ. Acts 28, 30 through 31, last two verses of the book of Acts. Kind of sad. For me, it's kind of sad. I've been so immersed in this story. For the next two years, now this, this event is over, him addressing the Jews and everything that happened there. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Think about that. That's how the book ends. Two full years of no hindrance in preaching the kingdom and preaching Jesus in Rome. End of story. Question. Honest. Honest answer. How many of you thought Paul died at the end of Acts? Show of hands. Nobody? Art? Thank you, Art. At least I'm not alone. The common thought is that the book ends with Paul's martyrdom. Not so. And what I'm going to tell you now is not Scripture. So you don't have to buy this if you don't want. It's widely accepted as true, but you don't have to buy it. History has it. During these two years that it's talking about in Rome... 
Paul wrote the letters of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Then after two years, he was acquitted, and he was released in 63 A.D. He continued his missionary endeavors, possibly reaching as far west as Spain. And during this extended missionary period, he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus, his last book being 2 Timothy sometime later. He was arrested again in 67 A.D. He was taken back to Rome, and he was murdered by the Roman emperor Nero. Today we say our farewell. We bid adieu to Paul and to Luke, to their faithful companions who've been with them through thick and thin. We say farewell to Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and many others. We say farewell to adventurous missionary journeys in in Gentile nations of the first century. We say farewell to the many and varied persecution stories we read about, the imprisonment, the storms, the shipwreck, the snake bite. We say farewell to the apostles back in the early chapters, to Peter, to James, to John, to Stephen, the first martyr, the rest of those first converts, the rest of those early disciples who had been brought to Christ through the apostles' ministry. 3,000 off of that first sermon by Peter. One sermon, 3,000 saved. That's my bucket list, you know. That's in my bucket list. Preach a a sermon, 3,000 get saved. We're going to bid farewell to the Jerusalem church in all of its initial glory. We're going to bid farewell to the amazing, miraculous signs and wonders, buildings shaking, healings, even raising from the dead, hankies and, and aprons sent out that touched the apostles, and when they touched the sick, they were healed. We're going to bid farewell to revival in Samaria through Philip, not an apostle, an ordinary believer. We'll say goodbye to salvation of the Ethiopian, farewell to the salvation of the Ethiopian government official whom Philip led to the Lord, and then he took the gospel to sub-Saharan Africa. We're going to say goodbye to Lydia and her prayer meetings down by the river. Farewell to the Philippian jailer his household, his prisoners, who after the earthquake wanted to know how to be saved. We're going to say goodbye to the farewell to the demon-possessed fortune teller whom Paul delivered. And then that whole rough crowd, Lydia and and her prayer partners and the Philippian jailer, the prisoners and and those who were with him, and then the demonically possessed woman, they all formed the church at Philippians. We're saying farewell. So much more. For me, it's kind of sad to be finished with the book of Acts. What an exciting journey it has been. And though the official story ends here, the lessons learned will carry on in our hearts for quite some time. How do we even wrap this up? Well, we're going to take a, a look at a key verse that we said way back in the beginning, unlocks the book of Acts. And it's Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses 
telling people about me everywhere. The whole book is about Jesus. It's about telling others about Jesus. You will be my witnesses telling people about me, Jesus, everywhere. Start in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And the fulfillment of this word from Jesus by the church is exactly what we have just witnessed, what we have just studied in the book of Acts. We traced it, the advancement of the church from its early roots in Jerusalem all the way to Rome, which was on the edge of the ends of the earth in that day. Again, this is not scripture, but history also has it that other apostles, other disciples, followers of Jesus went out in other directions. Paul went north and northeast and then west and got to Rome. It says Thomas went to India. Different guys went different places. We have the Ethiopian eunuch. After he got saved, he went back to Ethiopia. It was not just a small country then. It, was, it, it labeled everything below the Sahara Desert. He went back there, took the gospel back there. The gospel at the end of Acts is now working. Not every person in the world has gotten saved, but the gospel at the end of Acts is working in just about every known nation of the world. From those early roots back in Jerusalem. So with all of its ups and downs, all of its flaws, and we saw many of them, even in Paul, all of its imperfections, the church somehow was able to fulfill the mandate of Jesus to tell people everywhere about him as Messiah and Savior. Application. Are you on the edge of your seats? That mandate from Jesus to the church is still operative today. Oh, did, did you hear me? Or were you talking or thinking about something else? Because this is where it gets important for us. That mandate from Jesus to them is still operative today. Their mission is our mission. The church exists to tell those who do not know Jesus, who do not yet know Jesus, all about Jesus. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever heard that before? Like every other week. We are alive for one reason. To tell other people about Jesus. For some reason, we, the church, we haven't quite gotten that yet. We live for so many other things. That's a great place for an amen. We live for so many other things. Maybe if we have a chance, we'll tell somebody about Jesus. But we usually don't have the chance. God doesn't usually seem to bring us opportunity, so it's really not our fault. We have many things that God has assigned us to do, and it's different for each one of us. It can be. But the one overarching mission given to each one of us and all of us is to tell others about Jesus. Remember, one mission, one message. So from this, we'll move into our application. We'll close in the usual way. We're going to look at scripture that relates to our topic. Matthew 28, 18 and 19. 
Some of these verses I'll comment on, some I'm just going to read. This one needs some commentary. Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is a classic verse in Scripture on the mission of the church. It details the one mission. Make disciples of Jesus. Make followers of Christ. As you go, wherever you go, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, at the ball field, wherever you are, be looking for opportunities that God will provide. You don't have to go up and collar anybody and shove the Bible down their throat. It doesn't work. But you need to be aware that God may just provide an opportunity at the ball field or wherever we're at to speak to Jesus about someone. A divine appointment that he has arranged. He has them there and he has you there. The one mission that they had is as relevant for us today as it was when it was first spoken to them. Mark 16, 15 and 16. Then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Just one comment on this. We're baptizing next week. If you're here and you have not been baptized since you have accepted the Lord, you might want to strongly consider getting baptized. If you're here and you want to just renew that commitment, maybe some things slipped, maybe you never were really serious when you first got baptized, you're welcome to be baptized again, but you need to see me as soon as possible. The baptism service. She's telling you, you better get up there and see him. Mark 13, 10. When these things begin to happen, watch out. You will be handed over, handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. Persecution. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. How many of, how many of us see adversity as an opportunity to tell others about Jesus? I see adversity as an opportunity to try and figure my way out of it. Luke 24, 45 through 47. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations Beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. That's our message to those who do not know Jesus. I have found, and it's just happened recently several times, when I've prayed for someone to receive the Lord, and they've prayed and they meant it, and I wait just a few seconds, and I say, now be totally honest with me, did you feel anything? Did you sense anything? And almost to a person... They say, I feel warm, I feel light, I feel like something was lifted off of me. You know what that is? It's the burden of sin and guilt and shame that Jesus just took away. 
repentance, forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. There's no feeling like it. Either for the person who got saved or the one who has the privilege of leading them to the Lord. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And when you feel that forgiveness of sins, when you pray to receive the Lord, you have been born again. You now have a new start. His mercies are new every morning. When we do lead somebody to the Lord, we need to make sure they know that. This is what you're feeling. This is what happened to you. Then you give them a handbook for new Christians that we have here. Explains it a little further. Then we get them in discipleship and we begin to teach them all about this Jesus that they just accepted and they don't really know a lot about yet. Luke 19.10. Oh, classic, classic verse. The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Classic statement by Jesus on his life mission, his purpose. This is why the Father sent Jesus to earth, to bring the lost home to the Father. God the Father sent Jesus to earth to seek and to save those who are lost. Connect that verse to this verse. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. John 20, 21. There it is in a nutshell. We have our mission. We have our life purpose. It's the same as Jesus. As the Father sent Jesus to seek and to save those who are lost, Jesus is sending us to seek and to save those who are lost. Can it get any simpler? You can get really excited about this unless you're convicted because you're not doing it. Then you don't really want to hear this. You just want the pastor to get done. So you can get out of here and get home and get back to your life. We're going to move out of the Gospels. 2 Corinthians 5, 11. There's some good stuff in 2 Corinthians. It's a, a little red book, but there's some good stuff in there. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. For those of us who know the Lord, we have a responsibility to tell others about the Lord. We should have a desire. But if we don't have the desire and we can't operate out of that, let's at least operate out of the responsibility that we've been given. 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life. It's not automatic. Jesus died for the sins of the world, but your sins aren't forgiven until you come to him and ask and receive him. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. There's a sermon there could preach all night, all day and all night. No longer living for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. For those who know the Lord, we are to be living for the Lord. Can it get any more simple than that? 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. He gave us the message of reconciliation, which we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. 
When we plead with people, come back to God, come to Christ, come to God. As you look around the church and even at our own lives, is that the way we're living life? So compelled and constrained by the love of Christ that we have to tell others about Jesus and we have to plead with them to come to know him? First Peter 3.15, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Colossians 4, 3 and 5, pray for us, Paul said, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. Can I just be really brutally honest? I receive a ton of prayer requests, people asking me to pray for them. And I could probably count on one hand the number of times that somebody said, man, pray for me that I'll have opportunities to talk to others about Jesus. Pray for us that God will give us many opportunities to speak about this mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here. So live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most out of every opportunity. Every opportunity for what? Every opportunity God gives us to tell them about Jesus. Make the most of every opportunity. Ephesians 5, 15 and 17, very similar. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. And in this context of relating to unbelievers, we know what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to tell others who don't know him all about him. So that they'll have opportunity to come to know him. Can it get any simpler than that? Conclusion. The book, of Acts, the book of Acts ends, but the mission continues. The mighty kingdom work of the Holy Spirit through the church, through the first century followers of Christ Jesus that we saw in Acts is now being carried on by the Holy Spirit in his church today, here in Columbia Christian Fellowship, in any church that's following Jesus, you and me. Here's our point to ponder. Our principle to think about today, we are on mission with Jesus, simple. We are on mission with Jesus, don't complicate it. To tell others about Jesus, that's why we live. We began this series through Acts with a message on mission. <laughs> it is very fitting to close our series through Acts with another message on mission. Bookend the series. So the band is not coming back up today. As we worship, do I have your attention? Do I have your complete attention? Every eye up here.
not on me, but on God because he has a challenge for us. I just happen to be the messenger. As we worship, Ron has two songs planned. As we worship through those songs, will you consider committing or recommitting yourself to being on mission with Christ? The longer you become a Christian, the more things get in there and begin to steal that first love. Steal that joy of your salvation. Steal that reason for living. We're saved. We know the Lord. We know we're going to heaven. We begin to slip in this. We begin to languish a little bit in this. We're not as hot. We're not as passionate. We're more complacent. We're more indifferent about the plight of the lost around us. We know we're in. That's good. What about them? What if the person who led you to the Lord had become complacent and indifferent and didn't really care about the mission? So as we worship, will you consider committing or recommitting yourself to being on mission with Christ? If yes, and if you're so, consi- so inclined, you can come forward. This is a hybrid order call. It's not going to be the elders are up here and come up and be prayed for. It's not a traditional full-fledged order call. It's totally on you. If you're so inclined and you desire to commit or recommit, to the Lord in this matter of being on mission with him, then you can make your way forward. You can make your presentation to him of yourself, your life, everything you are and everything you have, and then go back to your pew. You follow that? Can it get any simpler? Yes, of course. I know. I I heard it. I heard some of you thinking this. Can I just make that commitment in my pew? I heard you. I heard you thinking that. And the answer is yes, of course you can. But I find it there's something very meaningful. There's something very significant that when the Lord is challenging you to step out and publicly make that presentation. Who cares what the others are thinking? And don't do it because of what others might think. Then it's not real. But if you heard the Lord today, if you've heard him through the book of Acts, calling you to recommit to being on mission with him, then as Ron plays the music, you step out and just come up wherever you're standing. It doesn't matter. You can stay up here as long or as short as you want. Make your presentation. Go back to your pew. Seal the deal. Ron, will you come and pray? Ron's going to pray. Then he'll go back and start the music. And those who have felt that tug of the Lord, you come forward. Let us rise. Let's praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, Lord, we just want to praise you and thank you for this uh, messages that we heard throughout this time on the book of Acts. And we just want to not, you know, say farewell to it. It's being said farewell at the pulpit. But it's live, it's, it's alive and a growing within our hearts, within our minds, Lord, to know what, what we just heard, the teachings that you gave us. We, we heard a lot about Paul, but, you know, I was thinking, you know, Lord, you taught us about, you know, Peter in the first, you know, the church, how, how it was created, Lord. We just want to thank you. You know, Pentecost, you know, of course, you know, in today's Pentecost Sunday. 
And Lord, we're ending the book of Acts on the start of the book of Acts as we celebrate Pentecost. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for what you showed us and what you taught us in the book of Acts. You know, it, it's kind of sad, but yet it's kind of exciting. We're moving on. Instead of farewell, now it's in our hands. And Lord, we just want to lift that up to you, Lord. Lord, you gave us the greatest, greatest, greatest gift that we could ever receive, and that was the power of the Holy Spirit. You showed us the, how what the Holy Spirit can do. You showed us how to use the Holy Spirit. And now, Lord, we're going to take not only us out into the mission field, but us with the Holy Spirit into the mission field. And, Lord, we just want to lift this all up to you. We're, I'm, I'm excited to see what's ahead. I'm excited to hear, you know, as, you know, Pastor Hub said, we're going into the book of Ephesians. I read it many times. It is a very exciting book, and I can't wait to hear what you have, you know, more of the Holy Spirit within that book. And, Lord, we just thank you for the greatest covenant that you gave us. We have more covenant right now in you than most of the men in, in the Bible, and that's because we have the Holy Spirit. We have you, Father. We have Jesus, your Son. And we're now we're walking with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we can't wait for you to, to activate that in this church. Activate it within this family. Activate it as we step out these doors. Activate it in our everyday life. The power of the Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You're welcome to dwell within us. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. So we just lift that up to you. That to Let the Holy Spirit flow. Let the Holy Spirit be alive and well within us. And we just want to praise you and thank you for these, this message. Now we move on. It's in our hands. And we just want to lift this all up to you with the power and the glory of Jesus Christ. And we just thank you. And, every, and all, all the church family said, amen. Thank you.